Welcome to the Social Geeks Podcast. This is our final part three. We are still unpacking the AI global landscape um, and the future or the bleak future of South Africa. Look, I don't know what you have learned so far, um, but what I know is that the whole purpose of this podcast is to make sure that we... Um, converse you know we, we converse with people that are in the industry people that are doing amazing stuff in in the tech you know community in south africa and, and, and more but also to make sure that the episodes are informative they are inspirational they are impactful you know what's the point of having you know these episodes or conversations if they're not going to inspire you to do something if they're not gonna you know add on top of the information that you're having and be informative if they're not going to impact you you know and get on all social media platforms at social geeks za on all social media platforms and tell us what is it that you've learned so far and you know what is it that you got out of this three-part series without wasting any further time let's dive into the last part um, with Marvel Manailing and I'm not going to spoil anything for you by telling you what you'll be expecting in today's episode but it will just be you kind of listening and and getting more and more information um, but I can just give you a, a pick of what you can actually get on, on the podcast episode today um, you'll be also I think getting a little bit information about you know um why why the likes of amazons and facebooks are not paying us for the data that we're feeding them um taxes as well and ai security look that's the little that i can actually give you and make sure that you get out of this episode with more knowledge and more information you know what let's dive into it Um, so are there any books that you'd like people to read but are non-technical um, that can actually help them, you know, transform their lives and, and stuff like that? I'm asking this because the other day I was having a conversation with this other gentleman and he recommended a book that was not even tech. I think it was mastery. So do you have any books that you, you would like other people to actually read that might actually transform their lives yeah yeah so i do i do have books that transformed my life so the one book um uh was was sapiens by by yuval noah harari so um sapiens is a um, non-technical it talks really about the biology and migration and the evolution of human beings uh, and i think yuval noah harari in general he wrote three books uh, sapiens uh, homo deus and then and then uh, 20, 21 questions for the 21st century those books are amazing uh, they talk about they also sort of explain they're not technical per se sapiens it's it's much more biological but then the other ones later talk about you know the impact of facebook in our lives and how are we likely to evolve to become. I thought that is a very interesting, those are interesting writings that you can sort of look at where we came from and where we're potentially going. Um, actually, Homo Deus is titled A Brief History of the Future, <laughs> which is raising very thought-provoking arguments in there. So I think people can read that. It's a very nice book. But then also, there is a book that changed my life, which is called um, Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. And it talks about just, so, so she divides the whole world into two. 
people with a fixed mindset and people with a growth mindset. And you need to find yourself and make sure you can have a growth mindset. Actually, the book is so impactful that uh, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, when he became the CEO, he made all his executives read that book um, because they wanted to adopt a growth mindset to grow in the business. It's a very important book. Um, it's not really business related. It's just like if you use that thinking and that mindset, you can really see the world in a different way. There is also a great book that I that I read, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. <laughs> Thinking Fast and Slow is also a bit of a psychology book about how people think and why we make decisions the way we do. It's very transformative. Once you become self-conscious in that way, you can really, it becomes a, a super, super useful book. But then, yeah, there's obviously, you know, I love biographies. I love biographies. I like reading about Nikola Tesla, uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, those type of people. But there's also many books that I, that I think people should read. Um, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I didn't like it very much, uh, but, but I know it's very fam famous. Many people love it and it changed people's lives to a large extent. Um, but if you are a person in sort of like, you know, with a startup mindset, you can also read uh, The Lean Startup. It's a very great book uh, that talks about how you can run your company from a pivoting and prototyping, rapid deployment, that type of thing. It's a great book. Um, yeah, I think, I think those are like sort of non-technical books that I can recommend for people, but there's a lot of other books. And if somebody wants a personal, uh, you know, a, a recommendation of books, they, they can just get in touch with me. I have a lot of them that I can recommend. You, you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad more than three times in this episode. What's, what's with that? What's with you and Rich Dad, Poor Dad? <laughs> Only later to find out that you, you didn't like the book, but you mentioned it three times yeah. or more than that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's one of those books that um, uh, are great in, to expose people from a finance perspective um, and understanding just money management and 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 what it means, what is wealth, and and that this is this is this is context that I think especially African kids don't have. Um, like for example, when did you learn about the unit trust? You, you learn about these things very late in your life. Uh, <laughs> And then it's like, yeah, so it's very important to get exposed in that context. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is one of the successful books in the world that we're able to open people's minds from a finance perspective. I don't like it, but I like that I read it because it made me formulate my own perspective because I didn't agree with everything in there. So yeah, but the, the reason I like it is because of that. That exposure can give you a very nice idea of how to formulate your view about finances. And so that's the reason, um, yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Um, so what do you guys do at Data Wizards? What is Data Wizards and what do you guys do? And how can people be part maybe in, in I don't know, what do, you, what do you guys do before I, I start giving out things here? What do you guys do? What is Data Wizards? So we, we, we are a, an AI research lab, if you like, um, that is trying to be profitable. Um, so the whole idea of Data Wizards, actually, we've, we founded Data Wizards in 2015, myself and Ofenswe or Lero. Um, and then the idea there, when we found it, it was actually very simple. We want to show people that AI works. So the thing was that Offenzo at the time was super passionate about machine learning. I was super passionate about it. I had just uh, finished my research degree. And then the companies we were working for, they were not necessarily very receptive to machine learning. And when we started trying to have machine learning conversations in the companies, the, you know, people were not interested, you know, and most people were thinking that, ah, this is just a hype. So we started Data Wizards because we wanted to build machine learning that works, applied data science. But then because of the nature of machine learning research and people not being open to it for the most part, we couldn't really find clients. Like there were, there were very little people who, like back in 2015, 2016-ish, who when you say, uh, I'm, 
I'm data wizards, I'm a technology company. They wanted you to build a web application for them or a mobile app. But when you start saying, no, 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 I want to analyze the data of your clients and give you some value out of that. And I actually want to show you that some of the things you've been doing, you can change your approach a bit and they can be super, um, uh, you, you can use super helpful uh, techniques like data analytics and machine learning and stuff like that. And, and so, so, so it didn't, so it, the reception was bad. And that's why we became a sort of a research lab. And as a research lab, our job was to do dramatic things, build a dramatic solutions that can catch people's attention to say, oh. And then we started using hackathons as a platform where we can show these things. Um, most of the people who have uh, experience of data wizards at hackathons, they would know that um, we started doing analytics and building dashboards and data visualizations and machine learning models very, very early uh, in, the, in, the, in the journey of, of gig culture from a hackathon perspective. I mean, I remember the hackathons that we won, municipal money, blah, blah, blah. We were showing people that you can build models that are forecasting how much you're going to spend or build dashboards that are showing you which areas of your operations is having problems, that type of thing. And I think we introduced the vibe of machine learning in most hackathons. Um, but us, it was for prototyping purposes. And usually uh, when we build prototypes at hackathons, we had already have an idea of who we want to sell it to and or, or what we want to do with it. And usually we would be thinking, we'll build this product and sell it to people you know, as a, you know, a subscription uh, type of approach and other things. But then some of the products are, are they, they require capital to sort of run properly. Also, you end up requiring skill sets from a product branding and, and, and. So when we grapple with that, we ended up taking a model where we build and sell. So we'll build an internal capability from an AI perspective and sell it to someone. Or we'll get a client who says, I have this data, I don't know what to do. And then we, we start figuring out what, what, what we can do for them. There is a lot of projects that showed from the data wizard's perspective that really when you start thinking in a machine learning context, you can draw a lot of value out of your processes as a business. Um, and you can save money from just automation with recommender engines or something like uh, stuff like that. And, and our, most of our clients that we've worked with, of which unfortunately, when you take the approach of uh, building and selling, you lose the, the intellectual uh, property of, of, of whatever you sold because they bought it. But we are okay with that because it allows us to, it allowed, it allowed us to sort of decommoditize machine learning and be able to walk into someone's business practice and say, there you go, you can analyze your network traffic with machine learning models and get rid of uh, these uh, rudimentary processes you have in place that are so costly or something like that. So in, in general, we, we are a, a machine learning a research lab. Um, we, we research complex topics like how to quantize machine learning models and put them on phones. Because you know, the more, the more we adopt machine learning technologies, the more privacy is going to be an issue. And most people are saying that the future of machine learning is on edge. And edge machine learning is the idea that you can have the actual model sitting on the customer's device so that the data doesn't leave their device. The data sits there, the predictions are done there, and you have no uh, privacy issues to deal with. This is uh, actually also an internal project that we've been working on uh, for some time now to ensure that we can, you know, we can move away from, from an API-based machine learning model to, to an on-device machine, uh, machine learning approach. But yeah, we have uh, customers that we sometimes sell technologies to, but sometimes they come to us and say, solve the following problem for us, and then we solve uh, and relinquish the, the IP for that. Uh, we're focused on other internal projects, but the rest, we, we, we let our clients uh, go away with the IP. So yeah, and then how people can, so people can find us on datawizards.io if you have a machine learning problem, you know, if you have a problem in your business and then you think machine learning can help you, or you don't even know if it can, 
you can come consult and we can let you know. But also if you have an app and then you want to put some model inside that app that's doing some fancy thing or something that you think is overly complicated with rules or something like that, uh, you can get in touch with us. And also if you want to sort of gather some machine learning skill set, depending on what stage we are in at the company, we're able to onboard you uh, as an intern of some sort, you know, and then you just work with us on solving these problems. And I've seen people come in and, and leave and actually most of them go work for other companies as proper data scientists uh, just by getting the exposure from data wizards. So from a how can you help me type of thing when you are just a person out there and not necessarily having a business that you want us to solve problems for, you can also engage us uh, at that level. But yeah, most of, most of the things I know, I learned them from data wizards. And I, I really believe in the idea of focusing on research and then finding ways of commercializing your, your research output. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just need luck to be able to, to come across somebody who your commercialization approach can tie up with them so nicely and then you can build this momentum. And that's what we're banking on. Um, but we have no intention of like becoming a product company, you know, like, you know, where you're just Twitter, your app is Twitter. And that's it because machine learning is so diversified. I think we'll be minimizing our, our portfolio if we do that. So we're going to continue generalizing on uh, common machine learning problems and finding ways of solving these problems for our clients uh, as we become a commercial company on top of just becoming you know, an intellectual hub. All right, cool. Um, I think I'll be doing an injustice to this episode um, because currently everybody's talking about um, the social dilemma. I did not finish it. And also I think maybe it's somehow similar to, to the great hack. I mean, what's your analysis on, it, on that? Um, in, in just a, a brief, a, just give us a brief of what's your analysis about, about that. And also I think I'll, I'll ask a follow-up question and then we wrap things up. Yeah. Okay. So you know what? The social dilemma is actually just a, and you're right. I think also as I watched it, I thought it's similar to, 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 to the great hack, although it goes into details. And for me, I'm not surprised. As a machine learner, there's nothing surprising um, about the great hack. Um, but I think what people should know is that while well, the great hack and social dilemma, I think what people should know is that these systems that we put in place, these ads that you see on YouTube, uh, these products that you get recommended on take a lot, all of these things are being powered by these powerful machine learning models that are trained from data that is generated by you. Actually, there is even tertiary arguments in, in places like the United States where people are arguing, why, why don't we have a robot tax, right? And then we tax machine learning models, we tax the algorithms, and then uh, we find ways of, of distributing that wealth that we are getting from the tax back to the people. I don't know if you know a guy called Andrew Yang, who was running for uh, America, uh, the, the, the presidential elections, and then he later uh, sort of uh, left, left the race. But then he was one of the guys who are talking about this, uh, this corporate tax, this technology tax that we must place on Amazon, on Facebook. So that, because remember, we are working for them. We're generating data for them, but we get nothing in return. There is a lot of, there is a lady that I like, a very sophisticated woman called uh, Don Song. Don Song is a machine learning AI security researcher, but she's also introducing this new concept of, of a different internet, you know, where machine learning models are trained with differential privacy in mind, um, where we can actually have access to the data and be rewarded and actually be paid for, for, for using our data to train models. But then uh, the social dilemma, it, it, didn't, it didn't even touch other complicated concepts that, that are actually masquerading as just nice products online. But then this, this is actually over and above us generating data for machine learning models. 
there is still also an industry of labeling data. And that industry, most people are saying that they're, they're issuing uh, warnings that that industry is, is similar to colonialism. And it's literally like slave labor where people are stuck in like some small rooms in Indonesia somewhere and their job is just to label data. You know, they're looking at images on the internet and then they're saying this is an airplane, this is a fan, this is a car, this is that. Data labeling is a huge industry and that industry is not regulated properly and because of that there is huge exploitation. So there is a lot of problems with this new reality that we're going into and shows like Social Dilemma and, and The Great Hack are just scratching the surface to expose what's going on uh, uh, in the, uh, on, uh, deep down in the, inside the tech companies. But also, just as a last point to mention on this, is that if you look at, if you look at the great hack, uh, social dilemma, um, social dilemma more specifically, it's worried about machine learning models that, that, that is, that, that's using our data to train them. And obviously we get no rewards from there and then the privacy, and they're also maximizing uh, the amount of time we spend on these things. Because I mean, I don't know if you know, but uh, and the show actually makes this point, even companies like Instagram, they hire people that specializes in addiction. So they hire psychologists who, whose job is to ensure that they make the app as addictive as possible. Um, and because of all these things, we're going to have to deal with ramifications. And, and, and the point I wanted to make is that these people are still dealing with only privacy from a data perspective and also perhaps uh, these machine learning models and these addictions and this thing that wants people to, to be more addicted instead of being less addicted, uh, addicted to these apps. There's other things. These models are still just, we're still just dealing with what we call narrow intelligence, right? Where uh, the models are not yet doing anything to you. They're just learning about you and then giving you recommendations. But then once we figure out, because remember AI has three layers. There is a, a, a artificial narrow intelligence, there is artificial general intelligence, and this artificial superintelligence. So nobody knows how to build an ASI, a superintelligence, but then people are investing a lot in building a general intelligence now. When this general intelligence start taking control of optimizing one function to make you land that click these ads, we don't know what, what they're gonna do. You know, uh, We don't know what context they're going to use, how governable they're going to be. And you all know Harari also make this point in, in Homo Dios that you know, you'll have algorithms that know us better than we know ourselves. And once they become general intelligence, right now they're still narrowed. So the same, the, the, the algorithm that, that, that sells you an ad on YouTube uh, doesn't necessarily have the same context as the one that gives you uh, an ad, um, maybe, I don't know, on Gmail. Um, and this is a very abstract example. But once this thing is one single algorithm that is scanning the environment across all the landscapes, knows, and it's the same algorithm now that's learning how you drive, or, or, or even it's driving your car, but, it, it, but it, it's so general that it goes across all these domains, then the control it has on us is going to be astonishing. Um, and then people right now are designing uh, AGI. There is a new field of AGI research where people are putting money into uh, making sure that we can build AGI systems. But then when we, when humans, when other humans or researchers are raising the flag of saying safety in machine learning models, how do you make sure your AGIs are safe? People say they downplay it. They say, oh no, these things are just models. I can just switch off the computer and then it's not gonna be, it's gonna stop working. But then right now, we're having to contend with very narrow machine learning models because of what they are optimizing, which is our attention. So what happens when an AGI is optimizing our attention? What is, what is it gonna do to us, you see? And what will be the ramifications compared to the ramifications we're seeing now, just coming out of Facebook and these companies? 
So there is a lot of worries that we really, this show should be triggering in our minds to say, oh, by the way, we really need to pay attention here because these systems are not safe. They are, on, they, are, they are only, you know, Einstein said that you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created it. So these same engineers that are creating the systems, we expect them to be solving these safety issues. But I don't think that's a good bet because they, they are optimizing profits. And, and, and when you're optimizing a profit, you don't care about human safety or anything like that. Let alone, nobody will care about how long you spend time on YouTube. They want you to be there because that, that's when they can sell you ads. So we need to be very vocal and make noise about AI safety. And, and we really need to educate these people who keep downplaying, downplaying the safety of AI systems. Um, because that's because you don't understand what we mean when we say AI systems are not safe. Doesn't mean you should start saying, yeah, no, you are a sensationalist. Uh, these things are, are just algorithms. You can switch them off. You have no idea uh, what will happen when an AGI is spelled. And for example, just so that people know, uh, over and above just the safety and privacy and other issues, there is also an existential issue here, right? For example, we now know that we have built a machine learning models that are good at recognizing faces than people, right? The image, most models, most algorithms that ResNet and other algorithms and architectures that are solving ImageNet, they can go beyond the human uh, recognition levels of, 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 of this. So now we're getting comfortable with machine learning uh, language models understanding language. You know, they can synthesize very well. Right now we use Siri and Siri just works. Google Home just works. They can hear you properly and all these things. But the point is, as and when AI matures, we're building algorithms that are, are becoming specialists in fields that, that can outperform human beings. The issue becomes when algorithms can outperform us in a lot of other tasks. They're not, they're not, they don't have common sense. They don't have whatever it is that people seem to be thinking that for an AI to be a threat, they must have. They don't have all those things, but then they're better pilots. By the way, most planes right now run on autopilot. It's only a matter of time until we say we no longer need pilots in a plane. Well, maybe a couple of years, but then we have, we have fixed, I mean, rockets now drive themselves. Uh, very recently, there they were American astronauts that, that went to, to the International Space Station via a, a rocket, a, 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 the, the Dragon, which is a sort of a space capsule that was built by SpaceX. And they, they, those astronauts, did not need to touch anything. That thing drove itself there, it drove itself back, right? So we are slowly building these capabilities that are going to be super, uh, um, like uh, superhuman in terms of the skill set that they possess. Even though the, the fields may be narrowed, the question still remains, what are we going to do when we have these machine learning models that are better at us in these tasks? What will be the human's uh, position? You know, most people say we can do things that require soft skills that AI algorithms won't learn. But then it's like, how many of them can we create? And the question is, who is contending with these issues right now? Do you think that our MPs in parliament are arguing about what are we going to do when to start buying, um, you know, those McDonald's machines where no, all of a sudden we can't employ people now in these restaurants? You know, like what are these people going to do? What jobs are we going to create? So there is a, there is a lot of issues that uh, shows like uh, the big hack, um, social dilemma are exposing, but they're still scratching the surface. There's really concrete problems that we need to contend with, with this coming AI revolution. Um, and countries like China, I know that they're investing a lot in ensuring that the technology, they can, out, they can export the technology, they can export the robots. Um, you know, in mining, I know in mining, especially in South Africa, being a mining country like we are, um, robots that do mining are super important. But what happened to the, all the miners? When we mechanize, what happens? Um, 
And I don't, I don't think that we have enough people saying in this country specifically, not in a global context, but in this country specifically, this is what we're going to do. I mean, political parties keep telling us that we're going to uh, create jobs. Where? How? You know, the next job that you're going to be creating will probably need a robot to work properly. Um, so honestly, manufacturing, look at manufacturing, you know, manufacturing is getting automated. Um, and then manufacturing jobs are the jobs that keep people employed. So there's really like a lot of problems that I think we need to contend with. And my, my discomfort is that although we watch these shows and we start saying these things, I don't think we have sufficient, I mean, even the journalists who are supposed to be making noise about these things are the ones who say, yeah, doomsday, you guys are naysayers, blah, blah, blah. But they are the ones who are supposed to be educating the public about the dangers of the coming uh, AI revolution or the one that we're already on because I mean, in South Africa, we're a bit outdated, but in other countries, they're already dealing with these issues. Automated factories, not knowing what to do with their citizens because they're just there. And now you see people starting to advocate for things like um, universal basic income to say that maybe, I mean, COVID taught us that. COVID showed us that the government is capable of just sending 350 rents to people who don't have money. So maybe we should start thinking about uh, uh, universal basic income models where we're saying everybody will get a basic income because we would know that we can't give them jobs. But the question is, where are you going to get the money for that? So what Andrew Yang was asking in his political campaign in the US was amazing. It was, it was like most people called him like he's, away, he's way ahead of his time. Because the idea that we can tax Amazon, tax Google, and take that money and give it to, to people, because we know that Google and Amazon are using robots and have automated everything and they can employ you. That's a very radical idea. But it's an idea that most people agree that we potentially are going to end up with it because nobody's stopping the, the AI development. We are investing even more and more in this AI development. And that means that as and when we perfect them, we're going to be automating our way out of these human beings. And we are not going to know what to do with these humans now when they're sitting home idling. We almost lost our minds with this uh, idling at home with the, with the lockdown. What happens then when there's no job at all that you can do? Because the next machine learning model is better at you than that. So yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very problematic. And it's one of the things that I think about a lot. And it's just like, it's very complicated. It's very philosophical and people are downplaying it. Like people downplay the internet. And now we are where we are now. <laughs> then we will be with somewhere else in the 10 year, 40 years, some people say, and we wouldn't know what to do as though we didn't at the context. But yeah, I hope once you watch the shows, you become much more interested, you know, and understand, understand that what happens when I teach an, an, a Google algorithm, how to recognize faces properly? What happens when I give Google my history data so it can use it to optimize the, 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 the Google Maps I've been predicting ETAs. How do I get paid for that? My, my data went there. I gave you the data. You trained the model with it. And then now you're using it in production to make money. How do I get compensated for that? But these are very complicated questions that I think our country is just a bit too immature or premature to be even contending with because we have basic issues that we haven't started talking about. Sure. All right. Um, Mobi, you raised a lot of concerns. Um, you raised a lot of problems are there any possible solutions that you currently because you you've been thinking about this problem you are ahead of of our times you are you are there already um do you have any possible solutions for for this concerns that you're raising <laughs> hey, just to clarify i am not ahead of anyone um <laughs> i i i i agree that i'm thinking about this it's true that we have a lot of problems but there are always solutions so if you think about it, humanity has always conquered almost every problem that came before them, right? I mean, um, uh, people are worried about coronavirus now, but we've had the Black Death. Um, we, you know, we've got the swine flus and stuff. We've had diseases that almost wiped 25% of the population out. 
And we've been able to come out of those things. We've been able to invent uh, uh, antibiotics and stuff like that. But for the AI one, it's a very, very, very difficult one. So for me, currently, the only solution I have in my head for any government in the world is to do what China did with AI, um, is to go on a panic mode and say, oh my God, the world is leaving us behind. And if the world does, we are going to be in serious trouble. Become a state that is paranoid about artificial intelligence. You need to get paranoid. And this paranoia is not that machines are going to kill you. This paranoia is that where are we going to be when, when, when uh, uh, like uh, uh, first world economists are owning this AI game? Where are we going to be when every single robot is coming from China? Where are we going to be when every single self-driving car is coming out of Silicon Valley? What are we going to be doing, right? Because then, like, what are we going to do? Maybe we should be saying, how can we think about using artificial intelligence to optimize farming in South Africa? Because, for example, we outsource a lot of uh, uh, fruits to, to the EU and stuff like that. But then we have a global warming problem. How can we use AI to ensure that our farming advantage is retained and we can become a very big exporter of food. Uh, for example, we struggle with load shedding in South Africa. We are one of the hottest countries in the world. One of the hottest. How can we be a hot country and struggle with energy? Because the sun is there, it doesn't run out of power, um, but I don't see a lot of people going wild on renewable energy projects. I mean, if anything, there are fights with people fighting with ESCOM to say we should allow renewable energy projects on the grid and allow people to, to what, what, what they call IPPs. And people say, no, you can't do that. An independent energy producer, you can't, you, can't, you can't allow them. You should be allowing those because we are struggling with energy, yet we are the hottest country in the world. Um, right now, for example, there is a, so Elon Musk from Tesla, they have this concept of gigafactories. Né? So they have Giga Berlin, Giga... Giga, Giga US, they have Giga Shanghai. And then I've had Elon on several occasions saying that they want to have a gigafactory in all the continents. So why aren't we sort of readying ourselves and, and lobbying to get a Giga Africa in, in Jobek, you know, or in Eastern Cape, wherever, but just in South Africa, because that's a, a huge employment opportunity. Um, and because we're grappling with employment, how to even create it. Um, so I think that uh, in essence, also like, like I was saying, if we are not encouraging electric cars to come to the country, what, what, what are we thinking? Because everybody's trying to electrify their, their fleets across the world. We should be saying, hey, electric companies, come here. We will give you the following uh, uh, rebate, you know. We will give you a rebate when you come and manufacture this here. And this is how we can actually be saying we're creating employment. For the most part, it will be in the short term. And short term, I'm talking 15, 30 years. But 100 years from now, it's a very difficult to imagine what will the world look like and where will Africans be, especially South Africans. Um, so I think there's a plenty of solutions that we can think about. Like I said, at least for the short term, that can give us an advantage so that we can regroup and think about the future. But in South Africa, I know that, you know, we're obsessed with PPE corruption. When people are given money to help people, they steal it. So we, we actually debating and solving issues that are so rudimentary. And then we are denying ourselves the time to be solving issues that are super strategic and super important for the longevity and future of our country and our people. So I worry about these problems. I don't have solutions, but I do know that there are quick wins that the government can get into. And also you can, I mean, you, you could see the efforts and think, how can we improve the processes? But now there's just no efforts. And that worries me a lot. All right, cool. Um, I think any, any, any last words from you, Mabu, any last words? You've said a lot. You've raised a lot of concerns, possible solutions. You've advised where possible. And you've informed people. I mean, I'm, I'm informed. There are a lot of things that I've been taking notes around, you know, the conversation that we're having and, 
it's 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 a must research for me. Um, but any any last comments from you, um, Mr. Manailing? Yeah. So I think my my last comments are actually around education. Um, because I think if there's anything that is potentially uh, a future for our country is how we rethink our education system. So it's not working. We know that our education system isn't working. But then the thing that I find exciting is that there is a lot of problems in the world. And now this AI era is even introducing much more complicated problems. These things that I'm posing to you, for example, when I'm saying if Google collects my location history and then train a model, who should get paid? Why don't we have people doing master's research papers about this, you know, and coming up with new governance models? Um, South Africa, we are underdeveloped from a city perspective, from an infrastructure perspective. There are interesting ways that, uh, for example, I know that in China they have this project where they are building this road that is self-driving car friendly. So the road is designed to support self-driving cars. So you can see where other people are thinking in terms of the direction. So I think if we invest in our education and ensure that these big problems that have been presented by these inventions, global warming, like I just told you, global warming is a very serious problem. It actually threatens the ability to, to create food in Africa. And by the way, remember, Africa is not the greatest uh, emitter of, of carbon, yet we are the ones who are suffering the consequences. So people should be thinking, uh, we should be designing our education system such that, to be honest, I'm actually even very disappointed with some of the, even VET University or UJ, I'm very disappointed with their AI programs. You know, the, 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 if you look at the, the content of the degrees that they have, I think VET has a master's in data science degree. If you look at the content, it's so disappointing. And it, and it just shows you that we have a short-termism approach. Most people are, are trying to just, you know, create these data scientists that are, that are mostly not even employable because the, the, the background and the exposure that they're getting in these degrees, they're not very useful when you get to the corporate, you know? So people should be, we, we, and I know, for example, Google now is trying to kill the university degree. So they're trying to create a programs that you can go through for six months and then earn a, earn a median salary equal to somebody with a university degree without having ever been to, to university. Because they appreciate that you can design education in a way that makes, that creates employable people. The goal, the utility, is to create employable people. People should be employable when they get out of these programs. But I don't think people get empl are employable when they, they, when they come out of university. They're not. Um, so I think my last words would be, I would imagine that we lose nothing by investing billions of friends in our education. First of all, also like, you know, changing our education ministers and stuff. You know, like for me, if you've been an education minister for 10 years, you, 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 have, you don't have room for thinking afresh. You do not have. And also we are largely a very young country. So we should probably see young people being ministers. Somebody with a master's degree in some hectic thing, having gotten it from some country, come lead our education efforts. Um, and I think if, if, if we don't do that as a country, we're likely going to, to really like struggle struggle a lot because I know we're struggling now, but this is like, this is, this is very small things. We're going to struggle once, once globalization truly, truly becomes globalization. When uh, the international platform does not have any boundaries anymore and profits are being made from here and they're going straight to offshore. And we have no money left to make out of any business that we have um, because Facebook is not going to share their money. And when they get taxed, they're going to be taxed in California. They are being taxed in California and then the monies that they are making are going to California, but coming from South Africa, coming from Joburg. So I think if we invest in education and try to rebrand our country, rethink what we want to offer to the global community, um, that, then we can at least stand a chance of competing. Because then otherwise, we do not stand a chance of competing. And by the way, remember, people with money, 
they're going to take their kids outside, you know. They're going to take their kids outside to fancy schools out there and the majority of the country will remain doomed to whatever is left of what we can share. And I think that is a, that is a doomsday way of looking at the world and it's useful to look at it that way so you can try to avoid it. Uh, and I think education is one of the, the last hope that we have in terms of rethinking it and investing. 30-year investment. You say, from this great arts, this is what I want to do with them. And you produce a class of leaders that emerge out of, uh, out of education in 15, 20 years. And then those become the people that are going to take your country forward. Um, and, and we've seen countries do this. So we just have to think about it and figure out how do we, you know, get past these corruption scandals and these petty politics and really try to solve world-class life-saving problems so that we can sustain our country and make sure that we become a global player and contributor to pro uh, global problems. Um, so yeah, I, I bet on education. I will bet on education anytime. I think it's, it's the best bet you can make on the future of anything. Uh, and in our case, we have so many opportunities to do that. Um, and we have a lot of problems that we can invest in, which gives us a, 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 a fighting chance. All right, cool. You've heard it from himself. Um, we said he's betting on education. And I think maybe, um, I don't know who's going to be listening to this podcast or episode, but I think maybe rethinking on how we, we are actually doing things and moving forward. Um, also, I think also the, the curriculums of, of our tertiary institutions are very outdated and maybe they will try to, to catch up. I don't know when. I don't know when because even students are also complaining. But hey, I think that's, that's really a topic for another day on why tertiary institutions' curriculums are outdated and why don't they want to actually update them or, or, or introduce new things in, in, in the curriculum. But that's a topic for another day. How do people reach, um, reach, reach you, um, Mabu? So the easiest way um, is to go to datawizards.io. Um, and then I'm available on like, you can find me on LinkedIn as Mahumanailing. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is this Mabu. Uh, this like a pointer, you know, I like, I love pointers. So when, <laughs> when you're programming with pointers, um, I think you, you can use this, you can use self, you can use that type of thing. So I, I went with this for my handle. <laughs> so that's like actually a pointer pointing to me there on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter as this Mabu. Um, and yeah, if you, you if you go LinkedIn, Twitter or our website, you should be able to get in touch with me. All right, cool. Um, from me, I've learned a lot from you. I'm still going to bother you in the DMs. Um, and thank you very much for taking your time, regardless of all the problems that we've had during the show. But thank you very much for taking your time to come and inform us, inspire us, and, and impact our lives. Surely the person that will be listening until the end of the episode um, will we'll have, we'll have, like, grasped a lot of, of, of knowledge and, and, and information to actually research. I think the, it will be up to them now because you've, you've gave them everything. So it will be up to them to, to research going forward and, and recheck themselves and, and see what they can actually do to contribute in the AI era, more especially in South Africa, Africa, or wherever they are, because I don't know who will be actually listening. But for me, thank you very much. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for, for having me on your show. I think what you're doing with the show is amazing. Um, uh, it's uh, like I said, um, I love podcasts because I've learned so much from podcasts. And to your point, you hear a concept and then you start doing your own research, and then yeah, you end up in 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 a in a in a in a better place. 
So I think what you're doing with this show is great and I love it myself. I've been listening to it. I've had most of your previous speakers and I sure will be listening to future speakers and I can learn about concepts that I haven't thought of. So thank you for having me. And I think we should all be grateful to have people like you, Yolanda, who work so hard to try and get the information out to the people. All right, cool. That was it from the Social Geeks podcast episodes with Mabu Manailing. They unpacking the AI global landscape and the bleak future of South Africa. That was it from us and all those three episodes done and dusted. Look, we still want to know what is it that you've learned um, from the episode so far and you know, talk to us, share with us, give us reviews of, of the episodes and, and what is it that you will do from now on? Did, did you get inspired? Did you get informed? Were you impacted? You know, talk to us and let us know on our social media platforms. Don't forget to follow at this Mabu at Social Geeks at A at Yolanda Mabusela at Theta Wizards and also do not also forget that there is a mentorship you know um opportunity that you can actually explore if you're interested in data science if you want to consult with business uh problems that has to do with or that needs um some ai data science shandies you can get a hold of the data wizards team at datawizards.io make sure that you keep in touch with us till we meet again in the next episode.